Heavenly Father, we come to your word now and uh, we present ourselves to you to be molded and changed and um, enlivened by it. We pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Please, Lord, open our ears to hear what we have to say. And Lord, I pray for myself that um, the words that I say would be pleasing to you and that they would be the whole truth. Um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know the drill. We've been going through Acts. Uh, we've uh, been spending time looking at how the church has been growing uh, after Jesus Christ left the earth. It's actually the continuing work of Jesus Christ after he has gone through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church. So, we've seen some crazy things along the way. We've seen, seen miraculous healings, jailbreaks. Uh, government oppression, and even a beating last week that was celebrated, which is a little bit odd. Um, but the crazy events of this absurd book only make sense when you take into account the reality of Jesus Christ actually being bodily raised from the dead. It only makes sense when you take into account that Jesus was the Son of God and the Holy Spirit was at work in the Holy Church, uh, the early church. It's this weird thing where the gospel, where Jesus and the Holy Spirit change people to do strange things. They do weird things when they have been affected by the good news of Jesus Christ. And, um, and there's good things that happen as people become Christians, as people turn from darkness to light. There's good things that happen. In particular, people love one another and they pour out in generous love towards one another in a kind of in a new and a fresh way. They give up their own possessions and they're very generous so that nobody was in need in the early church. They served one another self-sacrificially. But you know what? That wasn't the end in itself. That was the outcome. The loving sacrificial community was not an end in itself, but the outcome, the effect of what happens when people proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. People came together, partly because it was an attractive place to be, if people are going to be really loving one another and helping one another and serving one another. That's a place that I want to be. But it was primarily because they were joined together in Jesus Christ, just like us here. The, you know, There are some cool perks to belonging to the church, you know, but we don't do it for the friendships or the spiritual support. We don't do it even for the um, the Eastgate moving crews that we are well known for. We do it because we're a family united under Christ. But the thing is, family comes with family problems. Uh, When you get people who uh, live together, arguments will arise. People will nurse grudges. And, you know, it it happens. It's what happens when people, uh, sinful people, come together. There's family problems. And that's what we're going to see in Acts this morning. We're going to look at the passage in four parts. It's pretty straightforward. It's no fluff. We're just going to work our way through uh, and have a look at the passages. And we're going to draw out some implications along the way for us. Uh, It's a... 
it's a, it's a bit of a foreign um, you know, context to us, but there is implications from the way that the church is being built that are relevant for us in our church here today. So we're going to have a look and we're going to see that there's a problem. We're going to see the proposal from the apostles to fix it. We're going to see the solution taking place. And then we'll see the results of what happens when all this stuff takes place. So let's get stuck into it. Looking at the problem. It's inevitable that when human beings get together, when they live in proximity with one another and get entangled with one another's lives, conflict will arise. You know, while we've been saved by Jesus and we've changed by, we're changed by his life-saving good news and the work of the Holy Spirit, we aren't perfected when we are saved. We're not perfected when we join God's team. Becoming loyal to Jesus wipes away our guilt, but it doesn't make us instantly perfected in our thoughts and actions and attitudes. Unfortunately, I'm sure many of us would love to be perfected instantly, but that's not how God works. Instead, when we are saved, God begins this process of changing us and perfecting us. He sanctifies us over time. He he knows what he's getting when he saves us. He knows that he's getting a broken human being, but he knows what he wants to achieve with us when he, when he gets us. He chose us and saved us and he works with us to grow us into maturity. And uh, we all know that the best things take time. Our best friendships are ones that are, and relationships are ones that are built over the course of the, the, the years. All the best wines are well-aged. The wisest counsel comes from the oldest people. And, and the best nations are the ones that are built on time. And God makes his believers better over time, conforming them, purifying them into the image of Christ. And that means that every step along the way, we'll be dealing with people who aren't perfect. If we're not perfected until the end, then that means there's going to be imperfections that have to be dealt with every step along the way. We're still people who sin and we carry our worldly baggage around. And that's the scene in Acts in, the, in that very early church. Sometimes we look back and we idealize the early church as this kind of some um, extra special um, church. You know, they were special in the way that they were pioneering the founding of the church, but they weren't special in that they had to undergo all the same problems that we would have to undergo. In Acts, there's this new gospel-shaped community called the church where people who are, who are made into a spiritual family run into problems. It's not clear if the problems were deliberate or accidental, probably leaning towards deliberate. But the apostles step in to sort out their problem so that the church can stay on track. So let's have a look at verses 1 and 2 if you just want to read it with me. In those days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, another word for the Greek people, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, as in the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So we've got this vibrant, growing church. Things are going swimmingly in terms of church growth. There's great mercy ministries happening in the church. 
to feed the widows. And this is really important because in those days, your needs were met in connection with family. So, you know, your your needs were connected, um, your daily needs were provided by virtue of your connection to a family. So, if you didn't have a family, if you didn't, if you were a widow, you didn't have a husband, or um, older kids, or if you were, um, if your parents had died, you would quickly end up on the street. You couldn't just pop down to Centrelink and, and get on Newstart. There wasn't a foster care system. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't go and grab an aged pension. The, the, the social service was the family. And so if you didn't have family, then that was a problem. You needed outside help. And so that's why God carries on so much about widows and orphans in the Bible and keeps encouraging us and telling us to care for them. And, thankfully, in the Acts church, they were being cared for. There was provision for the widows with food, probably some monetary help as well. So they've got a good thing going. It's the natural outcome of gospel-shaped lives is that we care for one another, we serve one another, and we're generous and we're loving, especially to those who are, um, who are you know, lower down, uh, who, are, who, who don't have as much as others. But as we've seen, there's a bit of a problem in this church. They were being racist. Now, racist isn't probably the, quite the right term, but you kind of get the idea of what I'm saying here. There's one group of widows who had a more Greek-influenced background, and you've got one group of widows who are the more pure um, Hebrew-speaking background. Um, they're all... Jews, but they just have kind of different cultural backgrounds and different languages that they speak more regularly. And so the Greek widows were getting less or none of the food compared to the Hebrew widows. The gospel hasn't even gone to the Gentiles yet. This is all just the same group of people, but they're creating distinctions between these two groups. And unsurprisingly, the Greek background believers start saying, hey, why are our widows being neglected with the daily distribution of food? So the apostles say, look, let's have a church meeting and we'll sort this out. So they get everyone together and they say, this is an important issue that needs to be remedied, but we can't let this high importance issue overshadow the priority issue to proclaim the gospel. So with the growing numbers of believers, the apostles clearly needed to figure out a way that they could fulfill their God-given role of proclaiming the word of God while making sure the other important stuff was taken care of. So we should, we should never forget that, that these gospel ministries of, of loving one another and serving one another are very important, but they don't take precedence over the proclamation of God's word. They're the outcome, the implication. So we move on to the proposal. Um, the apostles saying, we've got a job to do. So select some blokes from among you that we can ordain to the work so that we can be freed up to focus on our work. Uh, that's Samuel's paraphrased version. But if you look at verses 3 and 4, um, you'll see what it actually says. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it shouldn't need to be said here, but just a quick reminder to 
put your ancient literature glasses on when you see the word brothers, because the word brothers here is a collective term for the spiritual family, not, it includes men and women. So the apostles are speaking to their spiritual family and they put forward the proposal to select these seven guys to, to look after this. But there's some qualifications that need to be met. It's not just any old seven blokes. They need to have some qualifications met. Some, they need to have a good reputation. They need to be spirit-filled. And they need to be wisdom-filled. Now, I reckon that these are pretty good prerequisites for any position with responsibility. And it makes perfect sense that the people who will take on this power and authority will, um, that they will have a good reputation, that they will have a proven track record and a proven ability that is coupled with a a real lived Christian life, that they will be spirit-filled. Now, the, the power, the authority that these guys will receive is for the good of the church. Power and authority itself themselves are not bad. Please don't forget that. Our culture, is, in particular, has a, has a problem with authority structures. And so we should be aware of our own weaknesses that come about just by virtue of the fact of where we live in our, in our culture. So, so don't try and avoid the fact that these guys are being given power and authority amongst the believers. They'll be given a level of authority. But as I said, the authority that they're given is for the good of the church. They're going to be responsible to make sure that the poor believers get their fair share of the support and that the, that the generous church is providing. It will mean that they will take care of the practical matters of logistics and amounts, but also catering to the needs of those that they will serve. And they might even have to say no to some people who are trying to rot the system. These guys weren't part of a hierarchy of authority. They were just being assigned to take care, to to look after specific practical matters in the church. Now, um, I should also comment on the way it says here, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I've lost it. But um, it says, you know, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the implication here is is not that there's something wrong with the menial and ordinary type ministries of, of serving tables, but that their role as apostles meant that they were supposed to be devoted to something else. And in this case, it's the public preaching of the gospel. You see, all Christians are supposed to be devoted to the spread of the gospel, but God has gifted us in different ways. And there's different stages of life. We, uh, you know, we have served God in different roles. And the church is described as a body where all the parts work together for the good of the whole. And we all play our part in making the whole thing work. And there are some jobs that seem to be more honourable and classy, like apostle. But they are only one part of the whole body. And, And in this case, the apostles get that more prestigious position as gospel mouthpieces. But that does not diminish the need for folks to wait on tables, empty rubbish bins, prepare communion. Our roles as different parts of the body aren't just about what happened on Sunday morning either. It's about how the church lives and moves throughout the whole week. 
We care for one another. We serve for one another. And we use our gospel gifts for one another wherever we find ourselves. And I, I hate to labor the point about this different roles and responsibilities. But it's also important to remind ourselves that at, at different stages of life, we will have different roles in the church body. You know, the apostles weren't always apostles. You know, before that, they were just disciples. And before that, they were just regular fishermen and tax collectors, you know, regular guys working regular jobs trying to serve God. And throughout life, God will put us in different circumstances. By God's providence, we'll serve him in different ways. A mother or a father, for instance, will find themselves in a place where one of their roles is the physical and spiritual nurturing of a young soul for 20 or so years. But after their kids are grown up, their role will change in the way that they serve God in the church. And you might find yourself serving God uh, and serving the church through generosity while you have that really great high-paying secular job. But then a few years down the track, you might be supporting and serving the church on the Thai-Burma border by laying sewer pipes or translating the gospel into the local language. See, our lives change and move, and God often changes and moves our roles so that we can serve him in different ways. So we ought to serve God in the roles that he has given us, the place that he has put us, with the gifts that he has equipped us with. Just in case you missed that. We ought to serve God in the roles he has given us, in the place he has put us with the gifts that he's equipped us with. And if that means humbly serving the poor and destitute their daily food with love for the rest of your life, then God will be pleased with that. That's good. That is honorable. And for the apostles, fulfilling their God-given role meant that they had to appoint trustworthy men to take care of the practical matters of the food ministry so that they could be free to fulfill their job. So, how does the congregation take this? Well, it's the solution. The church was on board with the plan. They got themselves sorted to set out to solve the problem. So they, 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 they were on board, they picked out seven blokes who matched the criteria and they put them forward to the apostles to approve and appoint. And, and we see that in verses 5 and 6 where it says... And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip and uh, Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. And they set them before the apostles and prayed and laid, they prayed and laid their hands on them. So it's a pretty straightforward series of events here. The church folk narrowed it down to choose these seven men and uh, interestingly, they all have Greek names. That, that's interesting because the dispute was about the Greek widows and the Hebrew widows. Um, and for some reason, they chose seven blokes who all had Greek names. So it might be something to do with the way that they were seen to bridge the gap between the believers. But they were chosen and put forward. Stephen gets an extra special mention here as a... Uh, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And uh, spoiler alert, that's because he's going to have a pretty big, uh, pretty big featuring role in the next couple chapters. So this is where he's kind of introduced. But we don't know much about the rest of the men. I mean, we, get, we know uh, a little bit about what Philip does. Uh, in the later chapter, he gets a bit of a story as well. He's featured. Um, he does a bit of stalking and, um, and teleportation. 
which we will come to in due time. The thing is, though, that while Stephen and Philip both get mentions later on about their role as gospel proclaimers, that's not what they're appointed to do here. They're appointed to do the ordinary task of looking after food distribution. It just goes to show how often uh, the best gospel witnesses are also humble servants. And it's a reminder to us that if we're not willing to, to serve in ordinary ways, then there's no reason to think that we would be trustworthy with more prestigious jobs, with more responsibility. So um, these group of guys are put forward to be ordained by the church leaders. Now, ordained is a bit of a, a religious word that gets used, um, but it just means that these guys are set apart and appointed to the job. It was made official. Um, and just like them, when we appoint somebody to a church office here at Eastgate, such as an elder or a deacon, the church as a whole, like they did back here, they put forward contenders where everybody says, we think these guys will be right for the job. And then we approve them and we appoint them officially to their role. We ordain them so that they can serve the church body in their, way, in their own way. And, and speaking of church officers, uh, officers, you know, like official positions in the church, the New Testament presents us a pretty clear picture of two officers. There's elders and deacons. There's also apostles, but they've, we don't have apostles anymore. But the two clear officers are elders and deacons. Um, elders, other words for elders would include um, presbyters or pastors or overseers or bishops. They're all ministers, if you will, all words that are related to the same thing. And these are the blokes who are responsible for keeping watch over our souls, who are leading, teaching, guiding, rebuking, overseeing church discipline and those kinds of things. But on the other hand, we have deacons, which these guys... The word deacons literally means servants. These are those who aren't responsible for the teaching and spiritual oversight of the church, but as their name would suggest, they are appointed to look after service ministry. They have qualifications that are similar, but different to elders. Now, why am I talking about church officers? Well, because most people see this passage in Acts chapter 6 as... As the, as the establishment of what, it, what deacons are, what they're meant to be. You know, the word, uh, they're not specific, these seven blokes aren't specifically called deacons, but they are seen to be doing the role of deacons. This is seen to be the establishment of the diaconate. Um, they're, they're proto-deacons, if you will. And so this whole passage is seen as, a, as the reason why we need deacons and how they fit into the role of the church. And I think that's just about right. This passage shows us how the early church leaders dealt with the physical and ministry issues in the church and how they made a solution which becomes the norm for the life of the church throughout the centuries. And it also helps us to think about our own deacons. At the moment, we've just got our two, Matt and Paul, who who serve us in different ways. And that's sufficient for now. But But if the... If circumstances around here changed, let's say there was an influx of refugees who started coming to the church, we might appoint more deacons to be responsible for their care, making sure they got the help and support they needed as they switched to life in Australia. We appoint deacons as the needs arise to look after certain things. 
Now, that's just a random example, but I'm sure you can see how the concept of deacons fits in to the life of the church. Where there is a need that requires official management, but doesn't need spiritual oversight, we appoint deacons, servant-hearted servants, to help. And it's not about whether or not they're gifted for other kinds of Christian ministry either. We, we don't make people deacons because they can't teach good. Like Stephen and, and Philip in, in Acts, they clearly do have gifts of pro- gospel proclamation, but they are appointed to their task um, as deacons to look after the practical things. And, and deacons aren't just stepping stones to elders either. It's the deacon... Um, the role of deacon is a, is a thing in itself. Now, sometimes and often, it actually ends up being that people will become deacons and then later on become elders, like myself. But it is its own thing, and it's about humbly looking after the practical ministries for the sake of the church. Now, I could keep waffling on about the relevance of deacons in their job, but I think I've said enough. And if you want to talk to us a little bit more about how elders and deacons and how the church is kind of looked after, please come and chat to me. People in different churches will have different perspectives, so happy to talk about it with that after. But getting back to our passage, we've we've seen that everybody gets on board with the plan. Everybody is, the whole church is on board, they put forward the blokes, and the apostles ordain them to look after the food distribution. And it's looking good. It's a nice way to tie up what was looking like a very divisive issue in the church. It's a positive outcome. And so what happens? There's a good result, which is what we will see in the last verse of our passage, which implies that with the practical issues sorted out and with the apostles free to continue the important role of preaching, God's word and spending time in ongoing prayer, God's word could spread and grow in the church as we see. Let's look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Things are looking on track. If we look back to chapter 1 of Acts, we get that kind of that statement which sets the scene for what happened, what unfolds in Acts, where, where Jesus told the disciples that they will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, we haven't got to the end of the earth part yet, but this, at this point in Acts, things look like they're on track. They are being witnesses in Jerusalem. The church is growing there. The gospel word is going out. Now, there's been a few hiccups along the way. We've seen that minor persecution. We've seen the Ananias and Sapphira incident. We've had this this problem with food distribution issues. But each obstacle is being overcome. And God's word continues to go out. Jesus' promises are being fulfilled. And not only that, some of the Jewish priests, the religious guys, the blokes who were the spiritual leaders of Israel, had converted to Christianity. They were joining the church. And this, of course, gives more credence to the, to the apostles' claims that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and that, um, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan with Israel. So things are looking good. Everything's in order. The church is growing. They're staying faithful to God's, um, uh, uh, to Jesus' commission. 
they're living in a way that demonstrates the love of Christ with their generosity and their service towards one another. So what could go wrong? Of course, things will go wrong, but you'll have to either read ahead or wait till next week to find out what goes wrong. But suffice to say that this verse, this verse 7, ties up what's happened in Acts so far. It's an end of an era. It's a, the closing of a chapter in the life of the founding of the church. It summarizes what's happened so far, but it's also a signal that a new chapter in church life is about to begin. So, what have we done? Where have we gone this morning as we've looked at this passage? We've covered a lot of ground. We've seen that that uh, there was an issue that showed up in the growing church with favoritism towards the, the Hebrew widows. It was, a, it was a good expression of generosity that they were serving uh, food and looking after the poor, but there was division arising. There was favoritism. There was problems. And we kind of expect that as well. We expect that as we live as a spiritual family, there will be problems that arise that we need to deal with. And the best way to do it is to get them out in the open and to deal with them. And that's why um, Jesus says, you know, if you have a problem with your brother or sister, go and, and talk to them and sort it out. And if you can't sort it out, get help and go back and try and address it again. We, have, we, we, we are people who are meant to be united and being pushed on in our, in our growth towards Christ. And we need each other to do that. And so we need to get our problems out in the open and deal with them. And that doesn't, isn't just about problems that we have with one another. It's also problems that we have where we have sin issues, where we need help. We need to say, I'm not sufficient to fix my own problems. That's why I need Jesus. And that's why I need the help of other brothers and sisters to help me on the way. And so we shouldn't be surprised when people are imperfect. We're a bunch of imperfect people. We expect that there's going to be sin issues come up in the church. Whether it, it I'm not guessing that there will be like issues like they had with the Hebrew and Greek widows, but there will be other issues that we will have pop up along the way. There'll be other things that we need to, to fix. And, and especially as we see people who come out of darkness into light, as people come out of, of the world and come into the church, they're going to come with all of their baggage of what their culture, um, as they've grown up, has told them. And I'm, 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 I'm guessing that in the time to come that we will have to deal with things like gender issues where we need to, um, where people will come with certain attitudes that need to be addressed. Um, you know, but God will expose and change people over time. God will expose our problems and he will change us over time. Well, we've also seen that um, mercy ministry of helping the poor is a natural outcome of helping of the gospel-shaped living, and it's important. But these mercy ministries, these good kind of hands of the church kind of ministries, don't they don't take priority over gospel proclamation. That's where the priority is. That's the main thing, and we need to keep the main thing the main thing. But there is important things that come out of that, including serving one another in love. We've seen that we all have different roles in the church and we should serve where we are, whether that is the public proclamation of the gospel or whether that's serving food. We all are part of a body that seeks to make Christ known across the earth. 
we saw that there were the seven who we think about as kind of prototype deacons. And they give us a picture of how deacons are meant to fit into our church structure. We've been reminded that God's word will go out. It will, Jesus' promises will be fulfilled. We've been reminded that the gospel must be proclaimed until the ends of the earth. And it's a good thing that the gospel goes out. It's a good thing that people will hear that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's a good thing for people to hear that they are sinners. It's a good thing to remind people of how how terrible they are because it will show them that they need Christ. Christ who came into the world, who died in our place. Christ who came into the world to, to atone for our sin, to deal with our problems. Christ who came into the world to save sinners and give us new life, a new eternal life in the presence of God, an eternal life of abundance and fullness, a life of true humanity. It is a good thing that the gospel goes forth and it will never be stopped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this example of how the, the early church under the leadership of the apostles kind of sorted out these issues that arose. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and boldness in sorting out issues that arise in our own church. Lord, we recognize that we are sinful people and that we're going to clash with others and that we're going to have our sin exposed. Lord, help us to deal with it in a godly, um, uh, Christ-honoring way. Uh, Lord, help us to serve one another with kindness and generosity. Help us, Lord, to be content with where you have us right now and not to always be yearning for, for something else, but to, but, to, but to understand that you are working in our lives and that you have us in our place for a reason and for a time. Lord, we, we, we pray that you would help us to identify um, those who um, help to encourage one another to move on in our roles and our gifts and to, and to use our gifts to the fullness um, that you have, you know, in, in accordance with how you've given them to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your gospel is going forth. We thank you, Lord, that the light is moving um, throughout the world. And Lord, it's good to see uh, that those early days of, of your gospel light um, moving through, throughout Jerusalem. And Lord, we thank you that that gospel light has reached us even here and now. We pray, Lord, that you would make us um, uh, gospel light wherever we go so that your good news would go forth and that your kingdom would spread and that more people would come and serve you as Lord and Saviour. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.